Otherwise, with Nancy Richards. Thank you. Thank you so much, Utsile Saku. I am Nancy Richards, and this is Otherwise Talking Women here on SAFM. And Nancy and I, my co-driver today, is Des Skippers. All we've got on the show today, coming up later, anxiety and women will be raising awareness around that. How do you recognise what is anxiety? And I suppose, how do you deal with it? We'll also be talking to an entrepreneur who gets back on track with spices. And in our women's or uh, women's organisation feature, we're going to be hearing all about SAWID, the young South African women in dialogue. And in the name of Mandela, our feature for July, we'll be hearing about an outreach ministry in Kells River. So that's what we've got lined up. And don't forget that you're always welcome to send us your stories. Uh, tell us what you feel, what you do, what you think as a woman here in South Africa. And you can find us on otherwise at safm.co.za. Otherwise, find us on our Facebook page, eh? otherwise on SAFM. What's news? Well, whilst most of this and certainly a good part of the rest of the world's press were celebrating President, uh, former President Nelson Mandela's birthday yesterday, there was a massive amount of social media space spent on a joke about rape. Well, I am, of course, referring to FHM's writers Max Baroshenov and uh, Motley Morosi, who made Facebook joking exchanges about sterilisation, corrective and date rape. I can just refer you to an M&G thought leader piece, a reader blog piece, which is www.thoughtleader forward slash reader blog. And it's by Vincent Cleary. But as I see it, you've just got to know how bad things are for women in a country when people who should really know better can even think about making jokes about rape, never mind putting it out on social media. How low have we sunk? Well, the two journalists, both of whom are suspended, have made an official apology, but went on to add... But we do want to ask you, the zealous and public crusaders for justice, how violently did you tweet and scream and rage when actual rape cases happened? Well, perhaps just a little bit of simple humility might have been enough. However, better news for women, the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID, launched a five-year program targeting the education, promotion and training of a new generation of Afghan women aged between 18 and 30. It's named Promote, and the goal of the program is to increase women's contributions to Afghanistan's development by strengthening women's rights groups, boosting female participation in the economy, increasing the number of women in decision-making positions within the Afghan government, and helping women gain business and management skills. They say that subject to the availability of funds, the ceiling limit for Promote is set at $416 million dollars. That's going to allow for possible contributions of up to $200 million from other international donors. Well, clearly putting their money where their mouths are. I'm not quite sure how much this sort of thing costs to set up, but obviously they've got a lot of work to do there. Just lastly, the other day, you might remember if you were listening to Otherwise, we were talking about the Chinese woman whose sister claimed that she had been electrocuted and died on account of using her iPhone while it was charging. Well, thanks to listener Nikhil Somaru, who says by email... Highly unlikely if she was using the original charger, which provides around 12 volts at 2A, which is not enough to kill a human. Even if there was a surge, the charger would burn out rather than passing a high current to the phone. So that's something to be relieved about. But nonetheless, if you've got comments on that, comments on that, or comments about the guys who were joking about rape, let us know. Otherwise, at safm.co.za. This is SAFM. 
Talking Women here on SAFM, and uh, well, we do that each and every day, as you know, but on Fridays in particular, we take a look at women's organisations or setups, whatever they may be, both here at home or abroad. And today in the spotlight is Sawid, the Young Connection. We have on the line Majaji Alida Siabi. She's part of uh, the Young South African Women in Dialogue. She's also Deputy Director General of Women Empowerment and Gender Equality in the Department of Women, Children and People with Disabilities. Mm -hmm. Uh, Got her on the line. Hi, Majaji. Hello, can you hear me? Hi. Afternoon, uh, and afternoon to your listeners. The line uh, sometimes gets to be bad, but I hope we'll stay in touch. No worries. Let's just make the connection. Okay, Majaji, tell us a little bit about now. Tell us about Sawid because I think it was first established quite a few years ago by then First Lady Zaneli Mbeki. What? Uh, how long was it formed, and when did the young uh, component of it come about? The Young South African Women in Dialogue started in 2004, just a year after Sawitch uh, started its uh, outreach to the women within Africa. Okay, so that was 2004. And the, the purpose of Sawitch, just remind us, because it was a, a while ago. The purpose of Sawitch uh, was a community forum that brings all women from all walks of, 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 of life as well as all people interested in the issues of women in the country and within Africa. And also when it started, it was reaching out to other women in Africa as a process of providing a platform of sharing experiences, healing processes, and also bringing up an exchange in terms of how developmental issues can be charted for us as, as women and women's movement. Why the distinction with young women? What Are there particular issues that confronting young women? Yes, there are, because uh, you remember young women are still in the developmental stage uh, compared to the elderly women. And the reason why in 2004 we called for a young women in South, uh, the young women saw it, was that we needed a platform for us to be able to say to our elders, our sisters in this particular area, so that we become better women towards creating a better society for all. So the reason why then why Sawit, Young South African Women in Dialogue, was established was that to say young women should identify issues that affect them, issues that will take them from one level to a level of maturity and responsibilities. And the focus areas were more on um, social cohesion, especially um, intergender uh, relations between the elderly and the young so that we in, in, enhance the moral uh, regeneration. Also, the wise it was also going to focus on intergender relations, how as young women do relate to to young men so that we address issues that affect women from patriarchy and, and social constructs. We also had an element of focusing on economic aspects because we know that women, older women now, or, or, or women once they become adults or young adults who are entering the world of economy or who have not been able to enter the economic mainstream remain dependent or vulnerable to dependency and being able to uh, being a suspect to being abused because they are dependent on economic contribution from themselves. So we also focus on that. We're also encouraging young women 
as an element of WISA, we to participate in political debate so that we're able to take opportunities and platforms for voicing uh, issues of interest that protect and, 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 and the rights of women in whatever activities that will be uh, involved. So we had specific plans that we developed in 2004 to say these are going to be areas of focus that would lead the development of young women as we interact with the communities within the country and within Africa. Mutaji, I'm thinking that, you know, they sound like the right sort of conversations to be having on paper. I'm just thinking about the issues that young women confront daily. Earlier on SAFM, um, Ashraf Garda was talking to a young lady uh, who wasn't using her real name, but she was HIV positive. She hadn't yet told her parents she had a child. They were very, very grassroots, down-to-earth, everyday sort of issues. Is Sawid young, Sawid able to, is it a platform for those sort of issues? Yes, it is, definitely. Because in most cases we find that some of these issues are elevated to an academic level. So with, with mm. SAWIT or why SAWIT, we take the SAWIT approach that it's a community-based approach to engaging on issues. So we sit around on the floor in an informal manner and discuss on issues. So it becomes non-academic, non-apolitical, yeah. and non-religious. So everybody is at the same level. So that's the approach adopted from the mother side in terms of reaching out because we know we also complementing government because government doesn't always be able to reach everybody. So we know that when we have wise with structures within provinces we or regions of a municipality, for example, we're able to reach out to each other as young women and talk to, to one another and enlighten each other. So where and when do these these sort of informal dialogues, discussions, get-togethers actually happen? When we started the the, the structural arrangement of why Sawit was it, in the same way that Mother Sawit structures way, the Mother Sawit forums, we have provincial uh, structures, and within the province you will use the municipal regions to have representatives within those regions so that we're able to make difference in smaller chunks towards a bigger thing. So, for example, you take Gauteng, you have a Sawit uh, branch, who would have a wise Sawit or young South African women in dialogue branch, and in its Gauteng regions, you would have a representative of myself, I was the chair of the Twane wise Sawit. And what I will do is lead the, the dialogue coordination and even the chairing of dialogues within Tuani, you know, in terms of issues that would have aligned in the WISA with a plan of action. So do you find, you know, the, just an ordinary young woman can come along, put her stuff on the table, have her issues discussed, and once the young women have got together and they've discussed their issues, they've identified and they've shared them, what happens then? Does somebody take minutes, take notes, and take it back to the department? Um, at this point, remember the department is new. So I think we should be able to differentiate my role as the as a DDG in the department and as why. So, mm. so I'm talking at this point of time as a product of, of young women, uh, okay? So that would be an ideal situation to say once a, a 
at regional level and at provincial level, young women have charted their way of saying, this is how we would want our issues to be addressed. This is how we as young women commit to our own self-development and we would want the government to assist us in this way. And that, that, would, that should be the process. But at this point in time, young women have not been engaging specifically, for example, with the Department of Women, Children, and with Disabilities. However, SAWID as a mother body has that strong link with the Department of Women, Children, and with people with disabilities. How much difference has it made to the young women who've been coming along? I mean, you know, practically speaking, what successes can you point to? Uh, I can give you two examples. There's a young woman who has been in SAWID as well since then, uh, lady who's now absorbed in, in some of the corporate environment. You know, the, the reason uh, SAWID goes beyond just uh, just dialoguing, it also links young people with opportunities to understand the difference in lives of other people. For example, uh, Nalidi has been able to be placed in a family in Senegal and experience the levels of poverty, the, 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 the levels of household arrangement, for example. And for that, it enables her to see, okay, within my country, within Africa, how does the structures of, of communities and government have an impact on individual development? Another example is of a young girl who got A in mathematics who is within the 20s wife, the young South African women uh, in dialogue within China, that after a dialogue that we had in Hammanskral, we were able to link her up with a sponsorship to to go and study at the University of Limpopo, for example. She's doing uh, meds-related degree there, and she sees an orphan. So we have those uh, outcomes, outcomes that shows trickle-down effect of, of, of this uh, uh, forum. So it would be worth any young woman's uh, while to certainly have a look at the website and see how it could possibly benefit them and how they could benefit it. I suppose it's a, it's a two-way thing. Well, Daji, thank yeah. you very much. I'm going to give out the website if anybody would like to check it out. And thanks for your time. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Cheers. Majaji Alida Siabi, and she is with uh, she's with Young South African Women in Dialogue. Check the site; it's www.sawid.sawid.co.za. Sawid.co.za. Introducing more savings from Specsavers. Now you can get between 250 and 1,000 rand off the normal industry price for your prescription lenses. That's right, up to 1,000 rand off your prescription lenses. Another reason why we are South Africa's leading eye care group. Change to Specsavers for affordable eye care and a whole lot more. T's and C's apply. On the 2nd of August, wear your slippers and be a hero. Okay, stop. Please read it again, but this time wear the slippers. The other slippers. Okay. Slippers. On the 2nd of August, wear your slippers and be a hero. Make sure you buy your 10 Rand Reach for Dream sticker and help the dreams of a child come true. How is that? Perfect. We're done. Wait, wait, where can I get myself a slipper sticker? You can find out on reachforadream.org.za, but... Otherwise, with Nancy Richards. Talking women here on SAFM. Well, 
one woman who certainly took her destiny into her own hands. She wasn't waiting for anybody to do it for her. Because a few years ago, when the recession was at its worst, or certainly around 2009, Mickey Monochetzi hit an all-time low. She had to sell a car. She was close to losing her home through repossession. But she came up with a, an idea of a small business that has sort of finally paid off in a fairly big way. We've got her on the line. It's all about spices. Got her on the line. Hi, Mickey. Hello, Nancy. It was just a sort of rags to riches story, or at least a sort of a desperation <laughs> to I made it sort of a story. Tell us, tell us a little bit about you, Mickey. I mean, I, you know, I've given the outline there, but what did you start out to do? Uh, you mean in terms of the spices? Well, no, in just in terms of what you were doing when suddenly the recession hit and everything fell apart. What were you trained to do? All right. I was actually trained in marketing and public relations. That's actually where, what I started about years ago. And then about five years ago, we decided to start up our own business. And the business that we had, it was an outsourced actually uh, sales type of business. We had an outbound call center where we employed about 60 people. Then we were selling insurance and cellular. And obviously, they, uh, you know, when the recession hit really, really hard, you think about it, a lot of people get retrenched. And what are the first things that you're actually going to cancel? It's your cell phone contract if you don't mm-hmm. need one or you simply just stop paying for your insurance, which is, will be your life policies or your, your funeral policies. So, uh, so that's actually what happened uh, to us. I mean, uh, we had a staff, a staff force of about 60, uh, 60 people that we were employing at the time. And you find yourself in this position where you've done everything that you possibly can, mm. you put everything into the business, and you're doing whatever you can, but then ultimately you realize that, you know what, this is not working out. Yeah, so, sure. yeah, so people, you can only have so many cell phone contracts, I guess, and ultimately, yeah. you know, it's all about survival. Yeah, sure, that's yeah. A, quite a heavy one. I mean, it's not just yourself you were dealing with. All those 60 people suddenly ha- find themselves out of work. It's just wrenching. How does one sleep at night? So yeah, so things yeah. really fell apart in a fairly big way. Um, what, yeah. what, how did you cope with that? Oh, it was a very difficult time because it was, I mean, myself, I was in the business with my husband. And, uh, you know, similar business and, you know, your life starts revolving around business. So everything it's about, you know, you come home, you talk about work and you're experiencing the same challenges and the same similar type of business. So it was really, really difficult time. It was very daunting at the time. So, uh, you know, you make do with what you can. You do what you can. You sell off as much as you can because that's when you realize you don't need so many uh, possessions in your life. You know, all the crazy cars and this and that and that. And, uh yeah, and then you you pick yourself up and you keep going. <laughs> and amazingly, you picked up spices, which is a tiny little ingredient. And I'm thinking, how can you make big money out of something so small? So the spice mm. business, how did that come about and what is it exactly? Yeah, I did extensive research into the township market at the time. And, uh, you know, I just thought actually of going into back into corporate that was very daunting. I mean, I've, I've been, like I said, you know, five years out of uh, out of the workforce, you know, when having worked for myself. So what I did, I knew that I wanted to go into the township market because really that's where the money is. A lot of people are living from hand to mouth. But, you know, you don't underestimate the 50 cents and one rent because that's exactly, you know, where the, where the money really lies. So I've got a friend who actually owns a spice business, and she manufactures, she most about 150 tons of spices, uh, 150 tons. But she manufactures like your big, big, big businesses as a flavor business. And she started 10 years ago herself in a garage. 
So I thought to myself, you know, uh, I want to take something to the consumers, but exactly what? At the time, actually, I hadn't thought of spices, but I looked into the township market. There are six different businesses in the townships in particular. You've got your spaza shop, your chifanyamas or your eateries. You know, people are cooking all over the place. You've got your uh, beauty salon. Uh, you know, you are doing our hair all the time, asking men, etc. You've got butcheries, taverns, and uh, lastly, yeah, those are actually basically in clothing. clothing. Yeah. So I thought, you know, how can I bring in something that is completely different to what's already existing, but still being able to tap into that existing market? So I always say, you know what, this spice idea was a good idea because there's no way that I could have thought about it myself. So I approached this friend of mine that I met in the gym. I speak Afrikaans. I'm very well-spoken from Kimberley. You know, I said to her, you know, this is a situation. How about we go into something and then I can just test the market. But it's got to be uh, uh, something. And they didn't actually have the type of spices that I want because they they manufacture flavor. Mm-hmm. They said, no, it's possible we can do it. Within 10 minutes, the idea, I didn't even have to do a business plan or anything fancy. Then we went, tested the market. They did three or four spices for me. I went back and forth. Uh, testing the market, spoke to people in the township, they gave me feedback, too powdery, too spicy, too yellow, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So I took the feedback back, and that's how we started manufacturing. And uh, and basically, my uh, the product was actually approved by the market itself, instead of actually making assumptions that this is what the market wants. So I found out what people were eating in the townships, because, you know, having, I haven't lived in the township for the past 17 years, so obviously our palate changes as well. Because, you know, now I wouldn't have eaten sushi like 10 years ago. Now you become the most sophisticated intelligent becomes sophisticated. So you can't actually make such assumptions that whatever I want or like, everybody else is going to like. So I went to the people, the target market itself, and I said, okay, what is it that you like? What is it that you eat? What are the prices that you're currently paying? Where are you buying from? And how much would you be prepared to pay for something that is high quality but still be able to be affordable? And, uh, yeah, so that's how uh, Mama Spices and Herbs was born yeah. as a result of but, it. But I come back to thinking, you know, no matter how much you charge for it, you're going to have to sell a whack of a lot of spices to really make it pay. The numbers, yes. You know, I started this, con- I'm, I'm, I come from Kimberley originally. I'm not from Gauteng. Mm. And uh, so I started this concept called Business in the Box. Because a lot of people actually are employed. People are looking for opportunities. And a lot of people need a large startup capital to do, to do any type of business. So I said, okay, for as little as 300 rand, you can start up your own business. That's an individual. Okay, so so now I sell this as a business for people in the various communities. And people actually sell to their own communities. Oh, I've so got it. So that's how I'm pushing the volume. I don't sell one-one, like, you know, yeah. individual packets. So I sell as a wholesaler in bulk to people all over the country, basically, and, uh, you know, obviously having started now in Gauteng, and then they resell and they restock, and that's how we've been doing it. Okay, so and almost like sort of uh, little mini franchises. Yes, 100%. But at a much smaller, I mean, obviously at a much, much smaller yes. scale. And, you know, every time you become very innovative as well, and, you know, you've got people that come, the demand rises for specific land, and then I say, okay, fine. Now, uh, you know, a lot of people are asking me for the specific thing. Then you go into manufacturing based on the demand. But uh, it's just providing what people need at that particular time. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's what you do. Yeah, no, it's I work ex- on very small margins. Yes, I'm but, but yeah, an, I mean, I've got to say. Yeah, an extraordinary, um, extraordinary good idea um, because 
you know, people can make it as, as successful as they like. How do people, just quickly, how do people get in touch with you? Is, is there a lot of uh, business done on cell phones? You know, people saying, yeah. okay, this I one, you know, barbecue spice is doing really well, Thunder Grill is doing really well, send me more. <laughs> is that how it works? Exactly. Hmm. Uh, yes, yeah. Because, you know, the person, uh, you know, I've uh, I, I, I studied here. So I do a lot of my own personal marketing. So I'm doing marketing, I'm doing, there, I'm doing everything, basically. So that's how people get to know about me. Word of mouth, in the, uh, specifically in the various townships, uh, you know, it's very powerful. Because the thing is, once people know that you actually are providing quality and they're getting value for your money, one person that you'd have sold to tell 10 other people. So that's how actually people get to know also about the product. Then what I do, I sell at the minimum because I set, I help people set goals as well. Yeah. I say, okay, as little as you can start for 300 rand, but I want you to grow. I don't want you to because in profit margins, we look at about 100, 150% for them, 150, 180% from the initial stock. Yeah. So I say to a person, okay, fine, how much do you require to live? People have different goals. You've got a person who always satisfied me. Mickey, we're, Mickey, we're going to have to leave it at that, I'm afraid. But it, it certainly okay. sounds like you're mothering all your people, so it's not for nothing you're called Mama Spices and Herbs. <laughs> I'm going to give out the website if anybody would like to know yes. more. It sounds like a great idea. Well done. Thank Spicing you. up the Thank nation. So Lovely. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank Mickey Monachetzi. Well, if you would like to find out more, what a good idea. www.mamaspicesandherbs.com. Mamaspicesandherbs.com. Stay with us. It's just after one. 30 News Headlines Time with Utsile. Thanks, Nick. Thanks very much, Utsile. Well, uh, in a minute we're going to be talking about anxiety in women and just listening to what Nikki had to say there. I guess if suddenly you lose your, your job and your income, I mean, how anxious making is that? Well, we're going to be talking about that too with uh, Anne Bacchus, Bacchus and uh, she's a speaker, motivational speaker, but she's certainly got some thoughts around anxiety and women. But before we do that, first in the name of Mandela, it's our July feature on people doing things of which Madiba would be proud. And today we're talking to Vanessa Roder. She's a member of the St. Ninian's Catholic Church's Outreach Ministry in Kells River. And they do all sorts of things. But uh, right now what they have done, or at least in fact just last year, what they did was they launched something called Project Hope. But we got on the line to tell us all. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, good afternoon, Nancy. You, you sound like a very busy bunch of people. I'm looking at the list of all the things you do. You've got soup kitchens, home visits, hospital visits, parties for oldies and young ones. But, but tell us a little bit about Project Hope, because I think that's what you're really pumping at the moment. Yes, yes, we are quite an energetic bunch, and we are really busy in the underprivileged communities. Um, Project Hope, we launched last year, August, officially at our Women's Day event. Um, but we started working with the kids around about February this year. And uh, the purpose of the program is to, to empower the kids and teach them things like self-respect, their basic rights, and life and entrepreneurial skills with the aim to have them become self-sufficient and self-reliant, you know, in future. Yeah, and keep them out of trouble and off and drugs. And keep them and off the streets, yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> absolutely. It's absolutely perfectly wonderful intention. How do you do it? Nancy, it's, it's been challenging. I mean, there's distance, there's a few challenges. The kids stay far, far from church and so on. But um, we try and meet with them at least twice a month. And in meeting, we do something to empower them, like empowerment talk. And we try and provide them with tutoring. And then also we do a fun activity. 
Now, we do need a lot of people to come on board and assist us because resources is also a challenge. Yeah. So we're not where we would like to be with the project, you know, in terms of helping the kids um, to provide all these kinds of things for them. But we've made a start and, and we would like to keep the momentum going, you know. Is it, is it also a challenge being part of a Catholic church? I mean, you know, there'll be, that will be an attraction and a deterrent. I'm sure you know how it is with young people. You know, the church yeah. is sort of an issue. Are they, are they there anyway? Or? Yes, they are. And I must just say, although the initiative is under the auspices of the Catholic church, the people that we serve is from all denominations. So even the kids, they are not specifically Catholic. And they come anyway. They enjoyed the sessions that we've had. We're having one session with them tomorrow again. And we'll be doing, we'll be prepping them actually for our women's day event coming up because there'll be ushers and walking the women in just to make them feel special and the ladies as well. And, um, they'll be introduced again to everyone. And then also we're taking them to the bowling alley as a fun activity because a lot of them have never been to places like mm. that. Nice. Nice. Is it working? Give us some success stories. Any any young people that you feel how you really managed to help them turn their lives around? Look, it's still in the baby stage. Like I said, we only started working with the kids officially February this year. Um, but the fact that the kids come back, you know, I, I think that is inspiring. And a, a lot of them, you, you you get to know the kids and you sort of form a bond with them. And the ones who's at church with us, or when they see you at functions or in the street, you know, they come up to you and they chat and they sort of inspired as well. And they will ask, when is the next session? We actually got the mothers involved as well because we don't just want to work for the child. Yeah. We want whatever we do to be um, assisted with at home or carried forward. So um, that is inspiring when they ask you, when is the next session, you know, and what, what we're doing with the, with the kids. And the moms feel this is helping to keep the kids out of trouble and off the streets and out of drugs and all the negative things out there. You say that you need a lot of help. Have you got a, um, a website or a phone number or an email if anybody's able to help with you there? Well, they can, you know, with Google, you can look up basically everything. So okay. they can just put in St. Ninian's Catholic Church. And okay. um, on the home page, there's a link to the outreach ministry. Or they can even contact me. I can leave my number with you. Why don't we do that? Is it the number we found you on right now? That's right, yes. Perfect. Vanessa, very best of luck. Very best of luck with your second annual Women's Day event. I certainly hope to uh, pop along there if I can. So very best of luck. Let me give out your details. Thank you. Thank you you very much, Nancy. I appreciate it. Take care. Vanessa Rhoda, she's a member of the St. Ninian's Catholic Church Outreach Program. Well, if you'd like to check it out, as she says, Google, it's St. Ninian's, N-I-N-I-A-N-S, St. Ninian's Catholic Church. Look for their outreach program. Or if you'd like to give her a call, her number is 76 543 and they're in the Kells River area. Listen to Otherwise, stay with us. Heard this week on Living Sounds. You cannot speak about social cohesion if you do not include the religious communities who have clear values 
that can only be of great value to our discussion and to the creation of the social cohesion that we seek. That's first. Secondly, is that when you have a country in which 90% of the people say we are believers of one kind or another and we have all these faith communities, it is absolutely wrong to exclude those faith communities in a discussion about social cohesion. Then I think you are setting yourself up for a bit of a failure. Join me, Kanyuma Kubane, every Sunday between 6 and 8 p.m. on Living Sounds right here on FAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. This is SAFM. This is SAFM and this is Otherwise on SAFM where we're talking women. And we're talking next about anxiety. Now, if you're feeling a little bit anxious, maybe this is absolutely the time to be uh, listening very carefully. Because anxiety in women, I don't know, it's one of those words that get bandied around. And sometimes you recognize it for what it is. Sometimes you don't know. But sometimes when you feel it, it hits big time. Well, with me in the studio, I have Unbuckus, And she is a business and life coach. And uh, she's going to tell us all about anxiety. And I think they've got a workshop coming up. So if you're in Cape Town, stay listening carefully. Lovely to have you with us, Un. Thank you very much for having me. Are you anxious? A little. Okay. <laughs> don't be. Don't be. Um, anxiety. What? What? Do you, just describe it as you see it. Um, I think we often have the misconception that anxiety is always negative, and we don't always understand the difference between fear, anxiety, and stress. And um, we have wonderful people in the world describing anxiety as a creative energy. That um, in the research that we've done. Anxiety is a byproduct of the life that we live in at the moment. And instead of being a limiting process, it can actually be a wonderful, enabling mastery of life and work and relationships. Well, I, I can only but believe you, but I'm thinking not. <laughs> but anxiety, you know, one has to think about anxiety on all sorts of different levels. I mean, are we talking about panic attacks? Are we mm-hmm. talking about the sort of anxiety that makes you not want to go out of the house? And we're talking about regular anxiety, not anxiety and depression. No, no. You see, anxiety has a, if I can call it, a continuum. So we have on the shorter scale of anxiety or on the lighter scale of anxiety, we have what we call discomfort. And it's that one that says... The discomfort that I'm sitting here in front of you talking to people that I can't see. Yes, absolutely. So there's that butterflies in your stomach, Mm. and that causes a certain type of behavior. When we go slightly deeper into anxiety, there is the anxiety to perform in a relationship and with your tribe in terms of your household, and then a further step of slightly deeper anxiety in the corporate world, or it doesn't have to be corporate, but in the working environment. The fear of performing the the fear of change, the anxiety of am I doing my best, am I going to be retrenched in times like these. And then we move slightly deeper into anxiety, which leads closer to fear when we come to the true anxiety of someone that has been raped, someone that has gone through a serious traumatic experience, someone that has lost a loved one. And normally that anxiety is, for most people, of a periodic and a seasonal nature. And um, some, of pe- some of the people go for treatment, which I absolutely encourage if you've been in a situation like that, and some of them go on medication. The anxiety that we are talking about today is the anxiety that we experience every single day that limits our being our best people we can be, as well as 
doing the best you can and not making optimal decisions. You know, the directors of, of companies always have to be perceived as in control and that they have all the answers. And that in itself causes anxiety because no human being knows everything, no matter how expertise you are. Mm-hmm. It's a fine line, isn't it? I'm just thinking about, as you were describing it earlier, anxiety being something of a motivator. You know, you're anxious to make, make sure that you do all the right things. But if you're living in what you call true anxiety, where maybe you're living in an area, we were just talking to uh, Vanessa there about, you know, living in an underprivileged culture, mm. where you would be living with a certain level of anxiety all the time, mm. which would be sitting on your shoulders. It, it would be less motivating than uh, disempowering. I think well, my answer is my answers might might be a bit difficult, but it comes yeah. down to choice. Okay. So there's envi- there's environmental anxiety, absolutely, and I think whether you live in a previously disadvantaged environment, and whether you travel to the train to work and those type of things, there's still a choice in how you conduct yourself. So your environmental anxiety you can't control. How you respond to it you can. And by no means, I mean, that is just a decision that happens overnight. And sometimes people are depressed. And it's hard to see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not a train, you know. So the response to anxiety still stays a choice. And that is the work that I'm focusing. It is enabling people to, even in that times of what we call quite deep despair, to choose to act differently, to choose and use that anxiety, embrace it and act differently. So, I mean, we've recently heard about the guys in Mullenberg at the schools and stuff. You cannot control your environment. You cannot control your gangs. But you can control how you contribute to your environment. What is the difference that you're going to make? And I think even when, as I say that, that choice has to come from deep within. It's not something that is just, all right, I wake up tomorrow morning and I choose to be different. Mm. It has to be a way of life. Okay. Yeah, I see that. I see what you mean, that the choice can be yours. But first you have to recognize it i mean first you have to know that you're feeling anxious and not just sort of thinking oh everything's awful i can't cope you you have to say okay i'm feeling anxiety how do you how do you know that is such a wonderful question um i have been intimately um involved in anxiety i was diagnosed with cancer twice and i had i was pregnant the one time so if you ask me if i'm intimately familiar with anxiety the answer is yes And through the research that I've done, my way of coping with my anxiety is that I designed a model around it. And the model is a very practical coping model to say, how do I identify when I'm afraid? And one of the good questions to ask is to look at your body, to say, when is my shoulders tight? When do I have butterflies in my stomach? When do I sleep too much? When do I sleep too little? When do I eat too much? When do I eat too little? And then... Another good question, because sometimes we avoid the word anxiety because we've got such Mm. negative connotations to it. Other good questions to ask is, what irritates me? What frustrates me? What do I... Absolutely. And the other one that is nice about that is, what do I avoid? Because we also avoid the things that we're afraid or anxious of. Whether it's that courageous conversation with your husband, your boyfriend, your neighbor, your colleague at work... Um, those things that we tend to avoid or that tends to irritate us, that leads to good indicators that, we're, that we are anxious. Yes, I suppose a lot of us just sort of mask those things, you know, rather than you don't go there, you know, that, that sort of overworked expression, don't go there. So first you have to ask yourself those questions and then literally confront what it is that's 
upsetting you? I think a helpful question that comes next. So if you've identified that you are anxious, a helpful question to say is, what inside me supports that fear? So what belief system do I have that supports this fear or anxiety for that matter? So to use a nice example is to say, I'm afraid of failure or I'm afraid of being wrong. Then there's a belief system inside you that says, I have to be right or failure looks like X. So it's always interesting to go see what in your belief system, what did you grow up with that supports this fear? Can we go back to the the environment where things are not great and, you know, you, you've got a choice that you can either respond to it or ignore it or, or whatever, or you can choose to mm-hmm. do something about it. You've identified the fact that um, just walking down the street is a bit iffy. How can you sort of change your mind to sort of think, okay, I'm going to walk down the street in a positive way and do something about it? I think the challenge comes in is do you want to be positive? Um, when you live in an envi- environment where you don't always have a warm bed to sleep in and you're not always full, then your, your tummy might be grumbling. I think that's a harder choice. Having said that, I think it's still an internal way of, way of navigating the world. So walking down the street, one can have two attitudes. The one can be, I'm a victim, where is the next, next gangs are going to come from? The other one is, I'm going to hear, hold my head high, be vigilant, check around, not carry the biggest handbag in the world and choose to walk down the street with my head held high because I believe in what I have to offer in the world. Mm. So, and again, I I need to be clear, when I say this is a choice, this is something that is a progressive thing that we have to decide every day because certain days it's easier to make that choice than other days. Just looking at the clock, so uh, we have established that we recognize that we're feeling anxious. Mm. We've established what it is that's pressing all the buttons that that is uh, keeping that anxiety there. So how do you crack it? How do you conquer it? How do you work with it in a positive way? The best thing is to see what about the space serves you? So what about being anxious works for you? And most of the time it doesn't. Most of the time it doesn't work for us. And the next step is to say to stop judging anxiety. Because if we judge anxiety as a negativity then we avoid all the opportunities that we can to make a difference. So if we can choose to see anxiety as something that we can work with that can drive us and truly embrace it. So it's actually changing your view and how you see it. You said earlier that it's not just about saying, okay, I'm going to choose to be, you know, respond differently. It's got to come from deep within. Mm. How long may it take? Because you really, really got to want to change, not just pretend. You know, that is or such an interesting sort of question. It can't hit until you make it. There is an element of that to mm. be true. So I think the smaller the anxiety... So if, it, if you're afraid of meeting new people, it's a different thing to overcome than it is to public speaking. Interestingly enough, most people that I've asked to speak on, on some events say, thank you very much, I'm very knowledgeable on my subject, but I don't speak in front of people. So it depends on the level of anxiety to start with. The second thing is, it is a daily choice to say, all right, I want to be different. I want to not be a victim of my own fear. I want to actually conquer it and do something with it. And um, it's come to a point where we say small anxieties, maybe that takes a week, two weeks, three weeks. The deeper anxieties might take a few months. And, and, and the neurology it tells us that we need 21 days of thinking a new thought before it's a potential habit. So at the, at the very minimum, 21 days. And sometimes as we go deeper into the progressive anxiety, it could take up two months. 
yet you grow. You continuously grow. Is it the sort of thing you can do on your own, or is it a good idea to have a, a buddy? Because um, I know that you've got a course coming up. It's called Embracing Anxiety on the mm-hmm. 30th and 31st of July, which is mm, not next week, but the week after. Yes. Um, but, but is it required to work with somebody, or can you do this alone, do you think? I think when you start out on the journey, it's very helpful to have a buddy, or at least a sounding board and someone that you trust that's not going to judge you. So I think in choosing your sounding board, one also has to be quite careful. And the the main thing is discovering what you are truly afraid of and what you're anxious about and balancing that of someone and then see how you can change your behavior. Um, the model that we have in front of us tells us a little bit about how the body also helps us. So if you ask me, can you do this alone? Yes, I think you can. I just think it's helpful to have a buddy that you trust that can walk the road with you. And first you have to want to change. Absolutely. (laughs) And Bucky, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to give out the details of the course. It's the 30th and 31st of July. It's called Embracing Anxiety. But if you'd like to know a little bit more, do check the website, which is www.symphonia.net. Or give them a call. The number is 021-913-3507. And thank you very much. Thank you, Nancy. You've been listening to Otherwise. Up next, it's time for Nali Bali, the children's programme.